Amen. Be seated, church. Be seated. There are little places in your chair in front of you that you can put your little cup. You want to take that home as a souvenir. There you go. Or if you want to be really nice and throw it away for us so we don't have to do that later, it'd be awesome. Hey, I've got to giddy up. I'm not going to take up all your time here this morning, but I, I do want us to continue on in, in our, our study of Acts. So we're in Acts chapter 8, where we left off last week. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles there. We've got to feast on communion this morning. Now we'll feast on some of the Word of God. Christ says man does not live off of bread alone, but off of every Word of God. And so we'll dive into it. Acts chapter 8, we left off last week in, uh, in verse 26. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles there in the chair in front of you. You don't own one. We'd love for you to take that one home. It's our gift to you. 8, 26, we're going to carry it through the end of the chapter into to verse 40. Let's read together. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was, like, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb... Before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or, or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave the orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. What an incredible story. I uh, did something this week with my youngest that I swore I would never do as a parent. Did you guys, you remember the days when you, when you like, before you became a parent and you had a list of things that you were like, I will never do these things as a parent. Like, my kids are going to stay up all night long. They're going to eat whatever they want to eat. I'm going to be the coolest parent ever. And then you became a parent and you're like, scratch all that. That was terrible. I had no idea. And so I found myself... You know, to yesterday having an argument with my five-year-old, uh, which is a brilliant idea in the first place. And he is wanting a friend to come over, and I'm trying to explain to him why he can't have a friend come over. And he's hit me with the, but why, but why, and won't take no. And I found myself saying the cardinal thing that I swore I would never say. You know what it is. What, what did I say? 
That's a brilliant reason, right? All, all kids hate that answer and they think it's terrible. All parents go, no, that's a legit reason to do anything, all right? Right? Like, I, I said so, I'm a parent, you're a child, you do what I say, that's the rules, right? And that's how it goes. I, I couldn't hear it, believe what I said it, and yet I meant it, and I still mean it, right? Like, do what I say. I bring that up to say this. Do you know what Jesus said is the biggest proof of our love for him? Do you remember? What? Huh? That we do what he says. John 14. Let's read this together. John 14, verses 23, 24. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus says, the biggest proof that you actually love me is that you obey my teachings. It's the biggest proof. It it actually shows that, that you love me. Why is that? Why is that? What, what, what is it about obedience that has to do with love? Well, our actually obeying Jesus shows that, that we actually love him for who he really is. So we tend to want to love Jesus for who we want Jesus to be. We like aspects of Jesus, right? Like I like savior, I like provider, I like redeemer, I like protector, I like comforter. I like all those. I don't so much like Boss, king, in charge, Jesus. Because I would rather be the one in charge. I would rather direct my own life. But here's the problem. Whether we believe it or like it or not, guess who sits on the throne? Jesus. Guess who spoke and all the creation came into being? Jesus. Guess who, who sustains all living things to continue to exist? Jesus. Guess who will speak and, and all things will melt like wax? Jesus. It is who he really is. He is Lord. Whether we like it or not is arbitrary. It doesn't matter. That's who he is. And so to actually love Jesus for who he is and not who we want him to be is to include in that, I love you as Lord. Because hear what he says. To not do that, to try to love him without obedience being a central piece is to not actually love him at all. You're loving some figment of what you wish he would be. To love Jesus, the king of kings who sits on his throne, To love Jesus, the one to whom all angels are singing holy, holy, holy right now. To love Jesus is to see who he really is. Trust that and obey. Your Lord. Your Lord. So it turns out when Jesus says, because I said so, that's a legit reason. Now, I bring all that up. I bring all that up because our passage this morning is all about obedience. It's all about obedience. We can, we can understand that here, but I love this passage because we talked about this last week. Narratives give us a, a physical example, a, a word example here of how we can understand what does it look like to respond in obedience to Jesus? And that's what our story is all about. It starts with Philip uh, in, in verse 26. And our story starts with an angel of the Lord coming to Philip saying, Philip, go to this road. 
Go to this place. Go to this desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip goes, goes down there. And, and as he's there, you, you flip over verse, verse 29. The Spirit speaks again and says, go up to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip didn't go, I don't want to do that. The game is on. God, I really don't want to go do that right now. God, that chariot is moving. Like, that's hard. I am not that fast. God, my knee's been bummed. I blew it out playing football the other day. And I can't, I can't do the thing that you're wanting me to do because I can't. Do you hear any of that of Philip? God said, go. Look what the very next verse. Then Philip ran up to the chariot. Not just obedience, gleeful, costing himself out of breath, running up to a moving chariot because the Spirit of God said go. So without any argument, because of his love for Jesus, Philip goes. And then the story ends with with the Spirit like doing a beam me up Scotty type of thing where he just takes Philip away. I don't even know what that means. And he just, he baptizes and then says, boom, the Spirit takes him away and he goes. And he's off to obey the Spirit somewhere else. The entire story is enveloped in Philip being obedient to what God is calling him to do. That, that's the, the whole story. And in the middle of it, you have the Ethiopian eunuch. We'll get to him in a bit, who's also being obedient. This whole story is, is there. And, and so what we need to, what I just want to take a look at specifically is, is Philip's obedience. Because he knows Christ, believes in Christ, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And here it is. And so we've, we've got to build this out. Right? This is our example. This is what we have. We've all in agreement. Jesus said it. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. So our job this morning is to ask the question, then what does it look like to actually obey his commands? So whatever it looks like, it must include Philip's experience. And Philip had the Holy Spirit speaking directly to him. Go do this. So whatever our definition means of obedience, we have to include in that an understanding that the Holy Spirit will speak in specific situations in specific ways, guiding us to do specific things. Do you agree with that? I hope so, because if not, then you got some explaining to do with what the Spirit was doing with Philip. So the question is, do you believe God is a living God? Did he actually give you the living spirit inside of you right now? And does that spirit still move and guide unto the things of God? Yes. You, have, you have to make room for that. Because whatever obedience is, it is that. It, it was that for Philip. He, he heard this God speak to him and he went. We'll call that specific will. God revealing a specific, 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 a specific will in a place and time. To go and, and do this thing, to, to act like. How, by the way, how do you know if God is, is speaking to you in that way? If you have a voice that is guiding you to do something godly, that's not you. <laughs> that's a pretty good rule of thumb, right? Because scripture says the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So if you have something that your initial reaction goes, I don't want to do that. That was probably the Holy Spirit. And you were having that conflict there because of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So if the Holy Spirit is guiding you to go forgive, to go tell somebody about Christ, to, to share your testimony, to go love, to go, to go give of something of yourself, that's not you. You and I are not that good, right? That's the Holy Spirit in you, guiding you in specific directions. Now, but I want to be careful. Because that's not the only way God gives us his will. Now, that, that's a specific way. It's a nice way. 
but it's not, it's not the only way. In fact, in fact, for Philip, this isn't our first encounter with Philip. All of chapter 8 is all about Philip's obedience. Before, at the beginning of chapter 8, you've been with us. You'll remember it started with what's called the diaspora. There was, there, there was, there was a, a big persecution of the Christians in Jerusalem. They all had to leave town and, and get out of there. And Philip finds himself in Samaria. We have no story in that of God's voice coming to Philip going, Hey, Philip, get up, go to Samaria. But yet Philip finds himself in Samaria. And guess what does he do when he finds himself in Samaria? Do you remember? He preaches the gospel. We have no voice telling Philip at that point in time specifically, Philip, go to Samaria, preach the gospel. And yet he finds himself in Samaria and he's preaching the gospel. Why? Because Jesus had already told him to. Acts chapter 1. Right? You will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's his will. It's his general will. It's his will for every single one of us. And so generally speaking, wherever you find yourself, guess what God's will for you in that moment is? To be his witnesses. How do we know that? Because Jesus said so. Right? He spoke it. He's already spoken to us in his word. And there's a whole list. This is called God's general will. There's a whole list that you don't have to question what God's will is for your life. You know what his will is for you? To love your enemies, to give to those who are in need, to faithfully serve the church. To, to I mean, we know God's will. How do we know that? Because scripture tells us. And here's our problem. We like the specific will of God. You know, often I'm... I'm People will ask, particularly when, when, I, when they hit transition stages of their life. I, I spent years in student ministry and would be with students when they're graduating high school or when they're graduating college. And I'd be, hey, what, what college should I go to? What, what career should I do? Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? And what they're really asking is, what is God's specific will for me in this situation? Right? And that, I mean, we all know that. And what we would love is to have Philip's experience of God going, go there, do this job, live there this many years, and then boom. That would be awesome. Except for raise your hand the number of times that's happened in your life. Right? I can think of a couple specific times, but for the most part, I got nothing. I'm praying. Now, here's the problem. When, when folks tend to come to me asking specific God will questions, hey, what's God's will for me? That always I will begin asking them general God's will questions. Okay, I, I, get, I get your feeling this. Should you move there, do that question? Here's my question. How have you been serving the church lately? Who, who have you been sharing Jesus with lately? How have you been using your, your money and resources and time to give God glory lately? Tell me about something where, where you were forgiving somebody that's really hard. No, man, I'm not asking about any of that. I'm, I'm asking about what job I should take. Well, wait a second. If you're not interested in obeying God and what he's already spoken to you beyond a shadow of doubt, what makes you think we're going to be anyway interested when he specifically speaks to us? We've already told him, I'm not interested in obedience. Thank you. Does that make sense? And so before we focus on specific will of God, we have to focus on what God has already said. Generally, in the word of God, he's already speaking to us. It's why we study the words of Christ. It's why we study New Testament, because God is speaking his will into our life. Which, by the way, 
As I'm reading this, and I'm, I'm seeing Philip, Philip is, is just generally teaching people about Jesus, and, and then God specifically tells him he gets to meet this Ethiopian guy. I got to giddy up. Notice, <laughs> notice how unboring of a faith Philip lives. I'm going to get over on a tangent real quick, because I think this is a, a huge tragedy of modern Christianity, is that we have made following Jesus boring. We have turned it into coming and sitting on your backside for, and to listen to some chubby preacher preach for 45 minutes and then you go home and evidently that's what God sent Jesus Christ to down a cross and raised him from the dead for. Or could it be even more than that? Does Philip's life look boring to you? This dude, from the moment he gets down in Samaria, he's preaching Jesus. He's seeing people, and he's just a normal follower of Jesus. He's seeing people come to the Lord. He gets to see Simon the sorcerer and Peter have a show off. That's awesome. The Holy Spirit speaking to him. He meets a guy from Ethiopia on the way, gets to baptize that guy, and then God's taking him up in some really cool way to some other town. That is not a boring Christianity at all. That's a life of adventure. And guess what we are all called to? When you generally accept God's will for me is that in every situation of my life to be a witness of God, life becomes an adventure. I have a purpose. I don't have to wait for him to speak and say, go here, do that. He may, and if that he does, that's awesome. But until then, he's already spoken. Unto the ends of the earth, go be my witnesses. Right? It's like taking a bunch of sailboats. And, and, and convincing them that what it means to be a sailboat is that you stay in port all day long with your sails down. Yay, it's fun being a sailboat. Just stay right here. When in actuality, they, the sailboat, oh, it, it, has, it benefits from the port. That's where it gets resources. That's where it gets repair. That's where it gets what it needs. But it was made to be out on the seas. And, and, and let, guess what? We were called to do the word spirit in, in Greek literally means ruah win. We were, we were given the spirit of God to be out in the seas of the broken world. And yet we sit in port and we don't teach this enough. We don't grasp it enough that I have a mission I was made for, redeemed for. And I don't have to sit around asking what is that mission. I've already been told it. Go be the witness of God. That means that, that, that there are those of you that are, in, that are in brokenness that you can see. You are called to let the Spirit of God call you into step into the brokenness of broken home situations, of, of children that are crying out, of, of the impoverished that are crying out, of, of co-workers who are going through broken situations, of, of friends that are going through hurt, that you already have a calling. I'm going to pause and brag on one of our church members. This week, she was put in the hospital for the third time in, in, about, in about a month. Is it, Debbie's been there like, what, like three, three or four times in a month? She's there. She, she's had all sorts of health issues, surgery in December. I mean, it's been terrible. So, so she, she could be going woe is me instead uh, she's in there and she was kind of tempted to be that we all would be and she she sends me this email conversation she has back she sent that to you kim have you heard this story yet this is awesome and this goes to your discipling her debbie is in the hospital room and she begins a conversation with the nurse she sees though she is in a hospital bed that this is an opportunity to be a witness unto god because that's her calling in her life she begins to visit with the nurse the nurse's testimony is one where she has experienced incredible abuse from an ex-husband she's escaping away from that if you were here when debbie shared her testimony that's debbie's testimony she steps into that hurt feeling called and led the next thing you know she's praying with the nurse the nurse literally sends her an email going, I feel like God sent you into my life. Isn't that awesome? 
She could have been in that hospital room going, woe is me, where are you, God? And instead, she's going, God, you can use me in a hospital bed strapped up to an IV because you are glorious and that's my calling. Right? So what, what, what does it mean to, to love Jesus? I'm going to obey you, Jesus. And man, there's so much I could camp out here on. If you are bored in your faith, can I tell you something? It's not because Jesus is boring because we have accepted a life of disobedience as the normal for Christianity. If you don't look in the mirror and say, my calling in my life is to be a witness to God to the ends of the earth, then you are choosing a life of disobedience because Jesus has already spoken those words. And if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And along the way, as you've given yourself to that, of course, God will call you into some specific places in time. But Philip was already busy sharing Jesus. This is just another day in Philip's life. Oh, that it would be another day in our life. And look at the results. I, quickly, the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, awesome, awesome. This guy's a man of power. He's, he's over the treasury for the queen, controls all of this. This, this is an awesome guy. The, the, one of the oldest Christian existing communities in the world is in Ethiopia. Go home and Google this if you don't know it. There are, there are in northern Ethiopia, there are mountains with craters where they have built entire monasteries there and old, old Christian communities that can trace their lineage all the way back to this Ethiopian man on a road somewhere because Philip was obedient. But look, Philip just played his role. He gets up to it. And how cool is this? He hears the Ethiopian reading Isaiah 53. Go home and read Isaiah 53. It's the by his stripes we are healed messianic prophecy of Isaiah. It is awesome. It's beautiful. We read it every Easter. God, somebody had already played their role and, and pointed the Ethiopian man to Yahweh. Somebody else had played their role of obedience and gave him Isaiah. Isaiah played his role in writing the darn book. And then all of a sudden the, the guy is playing his role in reading it. And here is Philip and the bases are loaded and he gets to back clean up. He just comes along and goes, man, God, I get to do my role and I get to be there. Whether you get to experience the Ethiopian eunuch being baptized or not, you might be playing some other role way back when. You're just called to point people to Jesus, right? And along the way, God will give you some, some cleanup moments that are awesome where you get to be there to be the last voice to lead somebody to the Lord. And, and then there they are. And then they go start, you know, their entire nation believing in Jesus because of your faithfulness. And by the way, look at the faithfulness. And we're going to end on this because it's getting late and I can keep on going. Look at the obedience of the Ethiopian eunuch. Did the Ethiopian eunuch see any miracle? No. Up until this point where the gospel has taken root, it's been in the presence of miracles. This guy received it just like every one of us has. He heard. He felt God stir. His eyes were open. God was moving. Somebody pointed him to Jesus. And he said, yes. And this powerful man screamed, stop. And he humbled himself and got into the waters to be baptized. The first act of a long life of obedience. I love that. We can go off in a whole other sermon on the Ethiopian eunuch. But here's where I want to pause. If you're here this morning and you are hearing and you're feeling God draw you unto himself, don't ignore that. Let us point you to Jesus and say, this is the one that has been prophesied about, that spoke, and in his name, we are experiencing life like never before. 
know this life. Feel the freedom of dying to self and becoming a part of a community and a movement and a mission that's much bigger than just you. Come alive in Jesus Christ. We would love to invite you into that. And my encouragement is to have the obedience of the Ethiopian man. Now, I'll be quiet. Let's pray. What joy, God, to gather around your table this morning. Even to hear crying children outside and know, God, that we come to you as children. How great the love that you have lavished on us that we should be called children of God, for that is what we are. Redeemed by you, called by you. Father, grant us a child's love for you that just obeys you, that longs to obey you, God. We repent of boring, missionless, wayless Christianity. We repent of it, God. As a church, we pray, God, pull up the anchors, push us out of port. Holy Spirit, blow here that we would go where you would send us. And we're asking, God, that you would send us into every nook and cranny to the ends of this earth that they might know that you and the Redeemer lives, Jesus Christ. That we might point people to Jesus. We, God, do a work that we would even mean that when we pray that. That we would stop living life for our own little mini missions. That we would be Philip. That we would be the Ethiopian eunuch and, and just embrace a life that is so much bigger than us. Show us in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our children's friends, and show us the hurting places. And give us eyes to see and ears to hear, God, and the heart to obey. Father, we just worship you in closing this morning, thankful for who you are, thankful for Jesus. We give ourselves to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.